Good morning, church. How are we doing? We're doing well? Good. Real good. I wanted to, uh, to start off this morning. I wanted to kind of help you go back in history with me. Just, just a little bit. At a time when uh, things were getting pretty dark, it's probably, probably a time that was the darkest time on this earth. It does, you probably wouldn't think of it that way, but I want to tell you right now, it was. It was a Thursday evening, and Jesus was sweating blood, the Bible tells us. He was on his knees and he was praying. He was asking God to, he said, Father, if it's any other way, if we could do this any other way, please do that. But he was convinced that this was God's will, God's way. And the next thing you know, he gets arrested. He is torn away from those he loves. He is dragged from Pilate to Herod to Pilate again. In between, he is mocked. He's experiencing emotional, deep emotional turmoil as he hears the crowd screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. In that crowd are people that he had healed. He sees them. He meets eye to eye with them. And they're saying, crucify him after all that he had done for them. But he knew where this was going. Then he's led through the Via Dolorosa, weighed down, not only by the weight of the cross, but also by the heaviness of this cosmic task that he was going to be participating in. And the moment comes when he is nailed to a cross, naked, between two common thieves, and one of them is mocking him. I want to take you to the Bible on that. Just look it up here if you don't have your Bible. It says, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah? Really? Are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us. This is not just about saving yourself. It's about saving us too. Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal, the other what? I want you to make sure you understand this word, criminal. The other criminal protested. Don't you fear God when you have been sentenced to die? And then he says these words, we what? We deserve to die. We deserve to die. Please Keep these words in your mind. We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus. He's hanging on the cross next to Jesus. 
And he says, to Jesus, somehow he comes to his senses. I don't know what happens here. But in this very moment, he is awakened to to, to a, a different world. He's awakened to a new possibility after a life of crime, after a life of, of, of stealing and possibly even killing people. All of a sudden, he turns to Jesus and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turned to him and said, too late. Is that what the Bible says? Uh, it's right there, doesn't it? It says, and Jesus replied, I assure you, today, I assure you, beyond the shadow of a doubt, I assure you, you will be with me in paradise. What? I assure you? Wait, wait, I don't know about you, but I guess this man was a criminal, right? Are we getting that? And this guy did some bad, we don't even know the half of what he did. He was a common thief. His life was a series of bad decisions leading to bad decisions. And he actually accurately states, we deserve to what? To die. We deserve to die. But Jesus says what? I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. How on earth does he get to close his eyes and be safe to be saved? Are you with me? This got me thinking about something. If Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost, and somehow... After, after genuinely accepting Jesus as my Savior, I could, over time, by my misdeeds, by my mistakes, and my sins, undo what Christ came to do. Wouldn't it be wise for God to make me sleep until resurrection morning? Wouldn't that be like the smart thing for him to do? Why would he keep me around and risk all that? Why would he jeopardize my salvation and yours? Why would he do that? I mean, look, okay, Sergio, you're born again. You've accepted Jesus as your Savior. Bye. <laughs> Next thing I know, I wake up, my, I wake up my, my eyes are open, and it's resurrection morning, and I'm like, wow. Thank you, Jesus. But that's not what happens, is it? No, what happens is I accept Jesus Christ. I am pardoned from my sins. And now I get to live a life for him. But here's what I want to share with you. Because I don't think God is a stupid God. I'm just saying. I would like to share with you that with that salvation, with that pardon, God gives me assurance that he's going to keep me to the day he returns. We call that 
assurance of salvation. And I want to tell you right now, if you are a believer, or even if you've never been a believer, you can walk out of this church right now, this morning, knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt, I will, I will show it to you biblically in every possible way, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, or if you accept him today as your personal Savior, you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have assurance of salvation. You can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ cannot, what he did on the cross, you cannot undo. I would like to propose to you that grace is the great equalizer. There's this parable in Matthew chapter 20. Let me go there. And it goes like this. I'm going to have it up there. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like. Uh, you know, Jesus always starts parables like this. So he starts, he always says something like this. Over and over, for the kingdom of heaven is like. I, I always like those because then it tells me what the kingdom of heaven is like. For the kingdom of heaven is like, oh, okay, what's it like? And this is what he says. So the kingdom of heaven is like this, okay? So this is not Sergio telling you this. This is who telling you this? Jesus telling you this, right? So the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. And he agreed to pay them a denarius. Now, a denarius was a one-day wage for like a Roman soldier. This is good pay. It's actually better pay than they would ever expect. This is more like a gift than a wage. Like, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay you a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. How cool is that? And then it says, about... Nine in the morning, a little later, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. Doing what? So do they deserve this? They are not doing, they're not even like flexing, getting ready. They're not doing anything. They're doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And then he says these words. He doesn't promise how much. He just says, and I will pay you whatever is right. How cool is that? And so they went with the bell. Now, they don't even know how much they're getting paid. But they're going to go. Because they were doing nothing anyway. And then it says, he went out again. And this is... Remember I told you every parable has a hinge moment? Here's the hinge moment. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour. I should put this up again. In the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing around here all day doing what? Nothing. And they say, because no one has hired us. We are doing nothing because we have nothing to do. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, here he doesn't even say, and I'll pay you whatever you deserve. This last group, he just says, you go and work. 
I'll give you something to do. This last group were on the verge of losing all hope of significance. Nobody wanted them. They felt like the people standing, waiting to be picked on their team. And nobody picked them. You ever been in that situation? Pick me, pick me, okay. I want to play. And then the story says this. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages. Beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So now he's beginning with the last ones he hired, the ones that just barely got in. And then he's going backwards. And it says, the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius, which is what he promised the first people. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And this is where it gets really interesting. It says when they received it, they began to what? To what? To grumble. Wait a minute. I'm trying to figure this out here. I've met people like this. I met people that grumble because they feel like it's unfair. These who were hired last worked only an hour. This just barely got in. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of day. That just is not fair. But you see, grace is the great equalizer. It's not about how much you work. It's about you accepting the invitation of the landowner. You're getting this? And it doesn't matter whether you accept at the beginning of the day or at the end of the day, the landowner loves you. For the kingdom of heaven is like. Don't forget that. That's what he is saying here. What he is saying here is, look, uh, listen to me. I love them all. What's the ma- we agreed on this. This is what I want to give you. Eternity is for everybody. Why do you care? This is like the older brother syndrome. Remember that? Well, you never gave me a party. What was up with that? You know, you never, ki- you never killed a fatted calf for me. I saw a New York Times uh, cartoon once, and it was the father in the prodigal son story. And he's looking at his son, he's going, son, this is the fourth fatted calf we have killed now. Come on, right? Is it possible that the father has to do that for us? I wonder how many fatted calves he's killed for me. I wonder how many times I've been prodigal and returned, prodigal and returned, prodigal and returned. And somebody is saying, unfair, God, you should not be getting them to come back. What's wrong with that? But see, grace is the great 
equalizer. Are you following what I'm saying here? This is extremely important that you understand what I'm talking about here. See, grace is scandalous. It is reckless as we sing. It's excessive. It is something that you just, it doesn't make sense to the human mind. That's why it's called grace. These, none of them were getting paid. They were all being gifted. They were all being given a gift by the landowner. It says this, but they answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Don't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want to do with my own money? Doesn't God have the right to give grace to everybody? I mean, no, seriously, does he? Does he have the right to give grace to you? See, some of you are sitting there thinking you don't deserve the grace. You're like the thief on the cross we just read about who says we deserve to die. But maybe God will have mercy on me. Would you remember me when you, at the very last moment, that thief is like the people that were hired last. Are you following what I'm doing here? And then he says, are you envious because I am generous? See, what is it about God's generosity that makes us feel like that's just impossible? There's no way on earth that that could happen. Scandalous. Causing general public outrage. See, I think grace causes general public outrage. Excessive. Exceeding a normal, usual, reasonable, or proper limit. I believe that God's grace is excessive. It exceeds normal, usual, reasonable, or proper limits. It's just not what we would consider to be normal. Why? Because it isn't. It's God. There's nothing normal about God. You understand that, right? Do you ever think of grace that way? Scandalous, reckless, excessive? Or have you ever been tempted to draw boundary lines on grace? Well, grace is great, but only this far, because, you know, God is great, but there's got to be something I got to do, right? Because, like, like, it can't be just grace, right? But the Bible says, for it is by grace that you have been, what? Saved. Through faith. And that is not from yourselves. It is what? A gift of God. Not by works so that no man can boast. That's what the Bible says. None of us could ever boast. None of us could say, well, listen, I was working all day. No, it doesn't matter. It was a gift. None of us will ever knock on the door of heaven and say, hey, hey, I deserve this. If you're trying to deserve heaven, you're going to be a very miserable Christian. Can I just tell you that? That doesn't mean you won't make it. It just means that you'd be really miserable getting there. How are we doing? <laughs> See, because those of us who understand salvation by faith and those of us who understand assurance of salvation, sometimes we judge the ones that don't. But the reality is they're just as undeserving as we are. 
and they may not understand the joy and may not able to enter into the joy of salvation and the joy of assurance, but trust me, God loves them just as much. But where sin increased, Romans says, grace increased all the more. I want you to think about that for a second. How much sin is in your life? Can you out-sin God's grace? Some of us in this room have had to deal with some difficult things for some people that we love this week. Someone who has made a grave mistake in their life. And from every human perspective, this person deserves no grace. But I got to tell you what my job is. My job is to convince this person that no matter what he did, that the only way that he can find redemption is through accepting the fact that God loves him and that he deserves his grace. And only his grace can change him back to who he was. Are you following what I'm saying? I'm not going to get into details here, but i got to tell you, it, does, it seems like Nancy and I, we've been talking about this, it seems like every week somebody else, something else, it's just getting worse and worse and worse. Have you noticed this? Is it just me? I am telling you right now, there are people in this room right now that are going through so much, and they feel like they're not worthy of God's love. There is not a person in this room that is not worthy of God's love. I don't know who you are. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what the mistakes have been. I don't care what is going on in your life. God absolutely, totally loves you, and he wants to give you assurance of salvation. He wants you to know that you, all you have to do is accept him in your heart. I mean, truly, genuinely accept him, right? Not just like, okay, I believe, great. No, I mean, like totally, genuinely accept him and say, God, I'm all yours, broken as I am. This is who I am, but please, God, take me. I believe, help my unbelief. And I want to tell you right now, you cry those words, you will never perish. I'm convinced of that. And if you don't know me, come and spend some time with me. I'll tell you about my life. I'll tell you about what God has done for me and the mistakes I made and how close I came from being in jail. How close I came from making such huge mistakes in my life that there would be no way possible that, that, that anybody could forgive me. But God was able to pluck me out of the fire just in time. Because it's never his love. It's always our capacity to accept it. That's the problem. And the further we go into the depths of those moments, the harder it is for us to accept that God loves us. Because it's not God forgiving us. We struggle forgiving ourselves. sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, 
so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you ever thought about grace as something that is royal, something that reigns in our lives, that grace becomes the tool that God uses to be the Lord over us? How cool is that? Isn't that awesome? Here's another one of my favorite quotes. I actually uh, quoted this yesterday morning when I did chapel with the students at TCAS. And uh, I, I just, man, we, by the way, that school is so amazing right now. They're just, they've got some great staff and they're doing some amazing things. This is not a paid commercial, but I was just so impressed with those students yesterday. I want to tell you that right now. Just impressed with them. John says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. See, that's God's purpose for our lives, victorious living. God says, man, let me just tell you, the greatest joy you're ever going to find is going to be in living victoriously, to live a life without sin. That would be fantastic. But, he says, if anybody does sin, if you do sin, if you miss the mark, we have an advocate with the Father. Who's that? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Do you believe that? What is he saying? And I use this illustration. Kids, if you were there, I for, forgive me please for, uh, for doing it again. And some of you may remember this from a, a couple of years ago. But I use this illustration. This is what people actually think. They think that this is, this is what happens. One day, you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And God covers you. This is how people think about Christianity. And you're covered by him. And it's a wonderful thing. And you make a promise. You say, God, I will never sin again. It's going to be amazing from this day forward. And you're all laughing because you know what happens. You sin. And therefore, now God's not there anymore. And you, gotta, like, you feel it. You could sense it. And you're, something is wrong. And so then you say, God, please forgive me. And, and he's back on again. And you're like, all right, cool. Thank you, God. I will never sin again. And then it happens again. And now you feel like, well, for me to be genuine, it's going to take a little longer. You know, let me, let me, let me take a good, good week on this one, you know. It just doesn't seem right to come right back to Jesus right then and there, right? I mean, that would be, that's just weird, right? So you wait a while and, and somehow maybe, maybe a good sermon or a, 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 a good prayer, a great song sung up here, something happened. And it just, just said, God, please, now. Please forgive me. And you're covered again. And you begin to realize that the Christian life is like on again, off again. On again, off again. Have you ever noticed this? And you hope, this is what Christians believe, many Christians I know, you hope you never die on a day like this. Am I right? That is so unbiblical. Listen to what it says. My dear children, I write to you that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Are you getting this? It's backwards. This is when we need Jesus the most. It's because we are sinners. It's because we are broken that Jesus comes and says, I got you covered. I got your back. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. He's the righteous one. Because our righteousness, the Bible says, is like what? Filthy rags. 
I'm going to give you one more Bible verse. Faith is what? Being sure of what we hope for. How many of you hope for eternal life? How many of you are sure? Oh, it's getting better. I like it. See, if you're not raising your hand, you don't have faith. Because Paul says faith is what? Being sure of what we hope for. And what? Certain. What we did not see. Sure? Certain? What kind of words are these? I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. It's the same assurance that Jesus gave the thief on the cross. Isn't that wild? I like to. Here's another verse. And this is the testimony. And this word here means this is the truth. This is the, there's nothing more important. Like when you give a testimony, it's like you're giving the truth here. This is the testimony. God, one day, if you're good, in the future will give you eternal life. Is that what it says? No. Listen, look this up. Don't take my word for it. This is exactly what it says. God has, has given us eternal life. See, there's no reason why any of you should walk out of here without knowing beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. It's already been done. He has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And this is the only test right here. Are you ready? This is it. Whoever has the Son has life. How many of you have the Son of Jesus Christ in your, in your heart? How many of you say, for, there's no doubt, I love Jesus, Jesus loves me, he's in my heart. Some of you are going, I got it too. Just, just don't have the courage, but I got it. That's okay. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Mr. Hanna, that's pretty simple math, isn't it? That's, that's, that's it right there. You have the Son equals eternal life. You don't have the Son, you don't have eternal life. So the question is, how do you know that you have the Son? If you've accepted Jesus Christ in your life and you've accepted his substitutionary death on your behalf, accepting the fact that he died a death that he did not deserve so that you can have a life that you do not deserve. I mean, truly accept that. If you haven't truly accepted that, then I'm going to tell you right now, spend some time reading about that. Spend some time, spend an hour each day contemplating the cross of Jesus Christ until it sinks in. And trust me, it does. And when it does, everything changes. I, I'm serious. Every day, one hour, reading about what happened that day over and over and over again. I love what John says. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may what? No. And I wish I can give you the Greek on this because it's such a powerful world, word right here. It says, like, like beyond a shadow of a doubt, there is no, the, you may know like with certainty, you can be sure that you have eternal life. So what 
John is saying is not only can you be sure, because that's the title of the question, can I be sure, the, 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 of the sermon, can I be sure? Yes, you can be sure, but not only can you be sure, you should be sure. You should know. No one should walk out of this church not knowing if you have accepted Jesus Christ. And if you have not accepted Jesus Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do so. Grace is absolutely excessive. It is absolutely reckless. It's hard to accept, it's hard to believe, and hard to receive. Grace shocks us with what it offers. It is truly not of this world. It frightens us with what it does for sinners. And we see this over and over again in the scriptures. And I see it over and over again in people's lives. There's this amazing quote by this, entire, this, this very inspired author. She writes, Christ rejoice. Don't, don't miss this. It's so powerful that he could do more for his followers that they could ask or think. Like he was actually like rejoicing that he could do this. He spoke with what? Assurance. Knowing that an almighty decree, an almighty decree had been given before the world was made. He knew that truth armed with omnipotence of the Holy Spirit would conquer in the contest. It would conquer in the contest with evil. Do you believe that? And that the blood-stained banner would wave triumphantly over the followers. He knew this with assurance. And then he says these words, these always blew me away. He knew that the life of his trusting disciples would be like his, a series of uninterrupted victories. Hello. You're talking about Peter who was trying to chop somebody's head off and cut somebody's ear off? Are you talking about the sons of thunder? Are you talking about doubting Thomas? I mean, what are you... Are we talking about the same disciples? Are you talking about me, Jesus? See, I look at my life as a series of uninterrupted failures. That's the way I see my life. But you know what? Every time I allow Jesus to pick me up, that's a victory. And so Jesus doesn't see every time I fail and fall. Jesus sees every time... I allow him to pick me up. And so that's another victory. And that's another victory. And that's another victory. A series of uninterrupted victories. Are you catching this? Not seen to be such here. Huh. Man, we know that, don't we? But recognize as such in the great hereafter. See, our perspective is warped. Our perspective is human. God's perspective is amazing. D.L. Moody tells of a time that he was invited to preach in a state prison in Ohio. It's a great, great pastor, D.L. Moody. The chaplain told him of a story which occurred in that very room he was going to preach. The commissioner of 
the governor, or the commissioner got the governor, I should say, of the state to pardon five men for good behavior. The governor consented, but he said, look, if you're going to do this, it's got to be kept a secret. You cannot tell anybody. For the next six months, do not say a word. Five men will receive pardon, regardless of who they are and what they have done. At the end of the six months, the prisoners were all brought into the chapel, and the governor came, and he stood up on the platform, brought out some papers, and and he says, I hold in my hands the pardon for five men in this room. It got deadly silent in there. You could hear people breathing. That's how silent it was. The chaplain said, I had never witnessed anything like this on earth. Every man as still as death. Many were like dead pale. The suspense was awful. And then the commissioner began to tell how he had gotten the pardon. And the chaplain said, before you make your speech, please read out the names. We can't take the suspense anymore. So he read the first name. Reuben Johnson. Nobody came up. Chaplain looked at Reuben and said, Reuben, Reuben Johnson, that's you. And Reuben goes like this. Like, there must be another Reuben in here. He can't. It's like, the chaplain had to actually physically go there, grab him, and say, it's you. And Reuben, trembling, walked up, received the pardon, went back and sat down, put his head down and just sobbed like a little baby. He had been there for 18 years. Men give pardon for good behavior, but God gives pardon because he's good. God makes pardons for men who have been very, very, very bad. And today, right now, some of you need to receive that pardon. So I'm going to pray right now. And as I bow my head, I want you to pray, God, please give me this assurance you can have eternal life right now, this very moment, if you pray with me. Would you do that? And saints, those of you who have been around and you know what I'm talking about, would you, would you pray quietly to yourselves so that if there are people in this room that, that need to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, they would do so. Now listen, I'm not going to ask you to walk up or stand up or raise your hand. I want you to do this in your heart. But here's what I'm, I'm going to ask you to do. As you do that, you make a promise to yourself that you come and talk to me or Pastor Fred or Pastor Terrence. He's sitting right there. You come and talk to one of us. All right? So pray with me right now. Father in heaven, I want to thank you that so many years ago you 
took me, Lord, and plucked me out of the fire. I want to thank you, Lord, for the way you guided my life. I want to thank you, Father, for the day that I accepted you as my personal Savior. And although I didn't understand it then, but Lord, forgive me then, salvation and eternity. And I want to thank you, Lord, for the amazing power you have to have kept me all this time. I want to pray, Father, that you would do the same for some in this room right now. There are some in this room, Lord. I don't know who they are. I don't know their lives. But I, I just feel it, that there are some in this room right now that need to accept you fully. They need to accept the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. They need to put their pride away and think that there's something that they need to do or can do, but they just need to just, just accept you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would tug at their heart. That they would experience not only the joy of knowing that they are pardoned, no matter what, but they would feel deep down inside the assurance that they, on this day, have eternal life. And Lord, I know that there are some in here that, that have believed for many, many years but have struggled with this concept. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would help them to be sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have eternal life, that it is not up to us. If it was up to us, we would all be lost. But it is up to you, Jesus Christ. Please, Father, do this for me as your servant. We love you, Lord, with all our hearts. May this church experience today come alive with such real real life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.